So our special guest today is Andrew Nyberg. Welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. You're very welcome. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself, Andrew, and how you got started in writing? Well, um, currently I teach for the University of Tennessee Chattanooga. Uh, I've been working there full time for 18 years, teach courses in creative writing, um, usually poetry workshops, fiction workshops and survey courses. Um, I also have a specialty in Japanese horror and uh, magical realism. Um, But uh, I got an MFA from Spalding University in Louisville, Kentucky, and an MA in uh, English with a writing concentration from uh, University of Tennessee, Knoxville. I've been writing pretty much my my whole life. I uh, I grew up in a um, bit of a chaotic household, um, and uh, I found myself spending a good bit of time either by myself or with my sister, um, and uh, in both cases, um, really needed things to fill the time and uh yeah. storytelling became one of the main things i'd do um like honestly i would uh walk around my neighborhood ride my bike and i'd just tell stories in my head um eventually my my sister actually also wanted to write and she actually started to force me to write for quite a while when i was in um on a third or fourth grade or so and it just kind of stuck from there yeah did your sister become published in the end is that something she carried on with and um, no, um, she ended up going a uh, very different route. Uh, she ended up being a uh, board certified emergency room physician. Um, and uh, she uh, did have a presence on TikTok for some time, especially during the pandemic. She worked to spread health news. So she is a bit of a creator in a sense. But um, yeah, yeah, very different route. Very different. So what actually drew you to the horror genre specifically? So I think there's kind of two things. One, um, to me, horror is actually a comfort genre. Um, My mom in particular was a huge fan of 50s and 60s horror. And so even now I have a pretty big catalog of um, old classics like Them, The Blob, The Terror from Beyond Space, um, you know, all those uh, kind of Roger Corman classics, that kind of stuff. Um, So I do have a lot of positive memories growing up watching these, you know, old horror films uh, with the family. But uh, then also, you know, I think horror has a lot of freedom to explore character in a way that isn't always present in some of the other genres in that I think horror has a huge range of emotions and flaws that it's able to pursue, which may be more difficult to really get into and, you know, a more traditional genre or even, uh, you know, us. You know, something like fantasy or something like that. Um, you know, you're allowed, I think, to transgress in ways with your characters that give you um, a certain freedom for creation that I think is really fascinating. And I think at the same time, because you are looking at some of the more challenging aspects of people and what it means to be a person, it also lets you tackle some very serious subjects as well. Yeah. There doesn't seem to be um, a limit to so in the horror genre. You can literally write whatever you want uh, to some extent yeah i mean you know there's that there's that way in which every decision you make as an author is going to lean towards some audiences and perhaps alienate some others but you know you look at uh the current market for extreme horror for example and i mean you definitely get the sense that uh you know the envelope may have some limits before it tears but man they're really far away sometimes yeah so what's the first horror story that you've ever wrote oh that that i've ever wrote um 
So that's going to be that's it's sort of tough to define in a way because it's going to depend on what you consider to fall under the horror genre. So um I've been writing fiction for quite some time. Um, and the first real attempt I made at a novel was, um, I don't know, started around 2012, I think. Um, and it was a failed attempt. Uh, I, I'm never going to let that book see the light of day. But um, <laughs> it, it did have major horror elements. Um, I viewed it more as a, a horror, perhaps more of a, an adventure story with, uh, you know, very dark elements to it. But, um, but no, from the, the publishing standpoint, things that I've actually managed to bring out into the world, um, I started publishing short fiction around 2021. Um, and some of the first pieces I, I put out were kind of a, a hybrid between um, science fiction, horror, and magical realism. And so, you know, I have one piece that um, is a, uh, it's actually just a simple little narrative that's largely in some ways told through the point of view of a lamp and a bench that witness a nuclear Armageddon. Um, but it definitely has imagery that would be consistent with the horror genre. Um, another of my earlier fictional pieces that got put out was uh, through a place called Prose Online, and it's called uh, Where We Leave Ourselves. And that's um, a short story that takes place in a slightly alternate reality where um, people mold like cicadas as they age and it's absolutely loaded with grotesque imagery um in terms of what i've written that most squarely and traditionally falls into the the kind of the most common definition of horror i have a handful of short stories that have appeared in a number of magazines and podcasts uh, a couple of the most distinct ones were on creepy podcast had a uh, story called uh, the dead all look like children uh, about a man who was haunted by the um childish ghosts of his parents um yeah but uh but then in terms of my larger publications uh, the mobius store is my first uh, my my you know my debut novel and th that's a pretty squarely traditional horror piece small town cosmic horror do you write in any other genres is or are you just basically horror um, no, actually, um, I, I would definitely view myself every bit as much of a science fiction author as I am horror. Um, I also do actually publish quite a bit of poetry. Um, I have a, about a 20 year publication record in poetry, uh, a lot of different magazines uh, ranging, ranging from North American Review, another Chicago magazine, Nashville Review, um, I won yeah. the AWP intro award in that. But no, my, my current novel, the one that I'm kind of marketing right now comes out November 24th. It's called Gala Talk. And um, it's, it's I'd say it's about 60% science fiction, 40% horror. So um, it's set in a post-apocalyptic future. Um, it actually rests a lot of the horror on scientific principles. Even Mobius Store has a science fiction thread that runs through the core of it. Yeah. So which genre do you prefer the most? Oh, that's a really tough one. You know, that's kind of like um, putting somebody in, um, you know, a room with all their kids and saying, you know, which one do you like best? Uh, <laughs> so. <laughs> You know, I, I think I, I think I write them for for different reasons, though. Um, even the books that combine genres, um, you know, I, I'm working on a novel right now that um, is set in orbit, and I like to describe it as um, either the deep in space or um, Event Horizon meets The Martian, and it's got some very distinctive 
horror passages and a lot of hard science fiction. And when I'm working on it, though, one thing I definitely find is that sometimes I am much more interested in pursuing the science side of the narrative, exploring things like, you know, what's it like to travel, you know, to, to live in orbit, to travel in space. Um, yeah. And then on other days, I really want to lean into those horror elements and think about, um, you know, the the, the darker aspects of these characters and their situation. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's it's not something I could say that one is better for me or the other. It's more they, they suit different parts of my personality. Yeah. Okay. So how do you come up with your ideas? Um, so I... Uh, I read a lot. That's going to be the the single best source for it. I mean, I read a lot. I watch a lot of TV, um, especially movies and, uh, you know, and, and shows within genre. Um, I actually don't just read fiction, though. I read a lot of nonfiction. Um, I do. Uh, I, I, I spend a good bit of time reading uh, things like academic journals. I've been a big fan of astronomy since I was a kid. And I actually spent a few years as a computer science major in college. And so I like to read um you know, a lot of the the magazines that are putting out studies, uh, especially things that are kind of frontline uh, and speculative in nature. So, you know, I'll read things about like, you know, predictions about, uh, you know, hawking radiation, if I see that as a as a title, or I'll, uh, you know, look at something that talks about, um, you know, dimensional gaps in quantum foam or something along those lines. And um, really, it's just a question of, of trying to build a lot of information that I can start to pull from when I start thinking about premises. But then I read a lot of stories, too, because I want to learn how to um, structure things, how to develop characters to see how other people have tackled similar problems. Yeah. So how do you go about creating your characters? So that's one of those things that uh, I have to say I take. Um, I always take a couple of very basic and simple approaches to um, I, I teach uh, creative writing classes, and that's one of those things that I kind of drive home with my students over and over and over is having, you know, recognizable characters, people whose um, motivations we're going to understand and be able to identify. And so as I start working on a scene, it's hard to say what exactly is going to lead me into a, a piece. So, you know, I might have just read an article that was really interesting, or I may want to um, put a story in a specific setting, or maybe I just have like an image in mind of two characters in some sort of conflict with each other. You know, it's, it's hard to predict, but one of the earliest things that I do as I start to make the scene take shape is I, I stop and I take stock of the characters and ask the really direct question, what do these characters want? What do they want overall? What do they want in this scene? And I generally find if I can't answer those things, I find it pretty hard to proceed further for more than a couple of pages that um, if I don't know what's driving the characters, I don't know how the characters are going to act or react to what's in front of them. And as a result, I also can't decide what happens next. Because um, I, I, I do think that character agency is a really crucial um, driver of what makes good fiction work. If your characters are passive and simply responding to changing circumstances, I mean, sure, you can have a really cool premise that drives that forward for a while. But um, I also think that um, people want to see the characters that they're investing their emotions in doing things and acting and seeing the consequences of those actions. That's where our emotional weight comes in. And one other thing I do in the process is I do like to rest a lot of my stories on 
fairly fundamental human relationships. Um, yeah. You know, like I, I love writing um, parent and child relationships. And sometimes I write father, son or father, daughter, sometimes mother, son, mother, daughter. It's not necessarily important, the uh, the genders of the relationships, but I love exploring that dynamic. I love exploring the relationship between siblings. You know, I kind of had my own universe with my own sister. And so that's something that I have a lot of fun playing around with. Um, but I, I find that if you if you rest a major conflict of the story on, you know, a very recognizable connection like that, most readers are going to be able to engage with it pretty well. Yeah. So if you ever based any characters off uh, people that you know or from personal experience? Uh, so loosely, um you know, um, one thing I do always try to follow, and it's it's it's, it's advice I, I love to give in general. But um, you know, I find that as an author, the story often starts to teach me how to write it once I start start putting elements on the page. You know, you start with that blank page, and everything that you populated with it begins constraining and steering what's going to happen next, what's going to be coherent and cohesive with that world. But that being said. Um, you know, I definitely know that some of my best work is definitely drawn from or reflected um, direct relationships that I have. So, like, I'll give just two quick examples. Um, I had a um, kind of a speculative or magical realism piece come out in uh, the magazine Fusion Fragment just a couple months ago. And I'm really, really proud of this piece. But um, it's uh, basically about a father whose um, son uh his the, the mother died during childbirth and so he's been raising his son all alone and um his son vanishes over the course of each day um and, and the only way to restore him so that he doesn't disappear altogether is for the father to sacrifice a week of his life each day yeah. and um the story is uh in a lot of ways written about my uh you know raising my son um you know uh Basically, you know, it's hard not to feel as a parent like you're always just giving parts of yourself. And I mean, in a positive way, too. I don't mean this to sound like harsh or horrifying. Um, but, you know, you definitely have those days where you feel just absolutely exhausted, but you still have to kind of keep going and keep being there. Um, and so, you know, that kind of... Um, you know, the, the, thinking about the challenges of, you know, raising somebody for their whole lives um, was definitely um, a driver behind that story. And then in the Mobius story, um, the two main two of the main characters are two siblings, um, Stuart and Micah, and um, their relationship throughout the piece is very much driven by my relationship with my sister. Um, there's a couple of my favorite passages out of that book that very directly reflect childhood memory. Yeah. So what's been the most difficult story or scene that you've ever had to write? Well, that's a tough one. Um, so story-wise, um, if if you mean the most like challenging to get down on the page, um yeah. I'll definitely say the um uh, the one infusion fragment actually was one of them. Because one thing I didn't mention as part of that story was um a reaction to a very um, troubling incident that had occurred um, surrounding our family um, and uh, our, and our school, actually. And so 
uh, part of the impetus behind writing that story was my uh, belief in my ability to protect my children was severely shaken. And so um, a good chunk of that piece was written as a very direct expression of my um, discomfort um, and trauma at that realization. Yeah. But so, yeah, that, that piece was exceptionally emotionally challenging to put down. Um from a craft point of view, uh, the you know Mobius door was a tremendously difficult process. Um, it has a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of uh, a lot of characters and points of view that I had to make sure were lining up because the whole story takes place in a single evening. Um, and so I had to make sure I was always keeping track of where all of the other characters were in relation to each other. So from the planning standpoint, that one was definitely a huge challenge. But yeah, um, this story is called uh, Before You Fade Away from Fusion Fragments, probably the hardest thing I've ever written. Brilliant. So would you consider yourself a plotter or a pantser? <laughs> oh, uh, almost 100 um, percent pantser. Um, I do, uh, like I do some plotting, um, in that, like when I, when I'm working on a longer piece in particular, so either a short story over like 15 pages or a novel, I have some goalposts that I'm writing towards. Um, like when I wrote, um, uh, Gala Talk, one thing that I knew was that the characters had a couple of key milestones that had to happen in their journey for, um, for a core plot to happen. But other than that, I literally sat down and I wrote that book beginning to end. Um, I maybe jumped back to review a segment to make sure I had some consistency of details. But um, yeah. that one really uh, was written just with a bullet point outline that maybe had eight or ten different point points on it. And then all of the rest was completely invented as I moved forward. Um, Mobius was actually strangely similar, but that also did teach me a lesson in why I should maybe think about doing a bit more planning. Um, that, that book, um, its initial draft ended up at around, I don't know, 540 pages. And, um, the ending just didn't work at all. And it was because I didn't think I managed to pull together, um, couple major plot threads successfully. And in the major revision I did, I ended up cutting about 250 pages of material, including um, four main characters. Um, and it basically, it, I radically revised that novel with a plan in mind, having learned from that initial pants draft. But then, you know, the, the newest book um, that I'm working on, I, I tried to strike a middle ground between, but a huge, about 200 pages of it after that first 100 pages where there was some planning, the pages 100 to about 320 were written pretty much just straightforward, um, you know, one page after another, um, simply yeah. knowing what comes next. Do you find you have to take more notes when you when you're doing it that way? So I don't take a whole lot of notes, actually, because I, I find that um, it's damaging for my voice as an author. Um, basically, the notes always end up being out of sync with the notes I take, say, three months in. Um, but what I do is um, I do jot down kind of 
skeletal fragments, but then I talk through my stories. Um, I have a 45 minute commute to and from work. And so one of the ways I use that commute is um, I literally just dictate to myself scenes and practice iterations so that when I sit down and write, um, the material of the scene is ingrained in my natural voice that um, I'm not referring to notes. I'm not trying to fit or bridge from one thing to the other. It's able to come out in a fairly a fairly solid form. That's a good way of doing it, to be fair. It's worked so far. Um, you know, hopefully it, uh, it keeps up that way. Um, you know, I, I'm definitely a writer who, who you know, I, I'm a pacer and I talk to myself that if, if you know, if we wanted to have the pantser plan, uh, planner, like I would maybe put pacer in there, which is this weird hybrid between the two, because you are kind of planning things. But yeah. not exactly. Um, but that, that, that'd probably be the best way to describe it. Like I, if nobody's home, um, like on the days where the kids are at school, my wife's at work and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not teaching, I literally will pace around my living room, pace up and down the hall and just talk these things through to myself and then sit down at the keyboard when I feel like I'm ready to actually hammer something out. Yeah, we'll have to check that one at the debates and see whether anything comes back. <laughs> okay, so... What's one of the, what's your most popular book and how do you think it's resonated with your readers? So definitely so far, um, you know, the Mobius definitely in terms of sales um, has been honestly more successful than I thought it would be. And it's not that I didn't have um, a lot of faith in the book. I mean, I'm proud of my work, but um, you know, uh, I, I did come out and come into fiction out of writing poetry and Poetry, you know, readers are really interesting because they really do embrace your work. I mean, I've gotten some beautiful letters from people who have read some of uh, some of my poems. Um, and, you know, you do build this really intense connection sometimes because of the kinds of stuff you're putting into the work and the attention that readers pay to the detail and so on. But um, yeah. unfortunately, though, you don't have the breadth of audience in poetry. And so my, my poetry collection, uh, I don't know, it sold like 200 copies or something like that. And, uh, the, you know, it's been out for uh, for two and a half years now. And, you know, I, I bring some copies with me to events, but, uh, you know, they don't move nearly as fast as, um, you know, as a, as a horror book. And so kind of coming out the gate, you know, uh, literally my pre-sales, I think, outnumbered the amount of books I've sold it, of the poetry collection, um, yeah. you know, in its whole life. So, you know, that's definitely part of it. But I think... Um, I think people have received it pretty well, um, you know, because it is um, a story that has a lot of points of view. Um, I actually knew from the beginning that uh, from reading other reviews and seeing what people say about similar stories, um, I did know there would be a percentage of the audience that um, probably wouldn't be a big fan of the point of view switching. Um, but, uh, and, you know, that that is one thing I noticed in some of the reviews I've read um, that, uh, you know, the people who weren't as fond of the book flagged that but otherwise i mean i've, I've gotten a lot of really good response um i've had some people tell me it's one of their favorite books of all time or is one of the best books they've read this year um i've had people tell me how much they love specific characters and how they can identify with them um you know i've got a lot of really good notice actually there's a 
a single cha- a chapter in the book. The The book has nine main chapters. And between though, um, there's these little sections I called interims, which um, focus explicitly on developing the history of the two brothers, Stuart and Micah. And there's one of them that's called um, the Lord of Worms. And, um, you know, it's actually my favorite passage in the whole book um, because it's a, it, it's a translation of uh, childhood memory between me and my sister into the book's context. And um, I've had a lot of people tell me that that was their favorite scene out of it, which was just wonderful because, um, you know, even though I had only kind of written that as sort of a nod to my sister and because I thought yeah. it was uh, a fun memory, it was great to see that actually resonating with people out of, you know, outside the actual horror book itself. Um, but then um, I have a new book coming out. Um, Gala Talk's been um, on pre-sale for a couple months now, and it's been on NetGalley getting um, readers and ratings on there and on Goodreads. And um, I will say the uh, um, the response has been tremendously positive. Um, I've been extremely happy with the advanced reviews I'm getting. And um, so I, I honestly have a hunch that while I'm extraordinarily proud of and and gratified by how well the Mobius store did, I, I think that Gala Talk may actually end up beating it. Fantastic. That sounds like it's going to do really well when it actually comes out properly. Yeah, it's the, it's the waiting game, isn't it, though? Um <laughs> You know, yeah. it's, uh, it's it's one thing that uh, you learn pretty quickly, um, you know, trying to trying to publish things, even when I was just putting up poems in magazines. I mean, the wait time between, uh, you know, composition and sending it out and then, you know, first off waiting for either a rejection or acceptance. And then let's say it's an acceptance. Then you have that wait time between when it actually either goes to print or to screen. And, you know you find yourself just sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting and yeah it's hard not to be super excited but at the same time it, it, it can also be excruciating so like you know the, the mobius store came out on april 28th and um i'm actually like looking forward to november 21st when the audiobook release comes um and you know it's uh it's been something that's been in talks for a good chunk of time since the uh, the initial publication. But yeah, it, again, you know, you have to wait, you know, you've got that the book out, but then suddenly you have to wait for narrators to audition. You have to wait for the whole recording process. Um, and yeah, it's uh, it's amazing what an exercise in patience so much of this stuff is. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is a long time, isn't it, really, with some of the things that we have to do? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you could you could spend, um, you know, two years waiting for a publication to come out. In fact, actually, um, Gala Talk was accepted for publication before the Mobius store was. Um, And, uh, you know, now six months later, um, I'm just now finally going to be seeing Gala Talk come into print. Now, in all fairness, uh, I did actually change publishers with that book um, midway through the process because um, uh, I was extraordinarily happy with just um, how well Wicked House had had done with the uh, with Mobius store. Um, like literally, I don't think I could have asked for more from a press. And um, it was such a delightful experience that when I compared it to the process I was feeling through the other press, I really just felt you know, that there was no comparison. And so, you know, 
that delay yeah. was partially caused by me, but even then that press was already running slower. And so, yeah, you know, you ended up, I ended up with the book being accepted last June and now here it is, you know, November 23 and it's about to come out, you know, so yeah, a year and a half later. <laughs> but at least it's coming out. That's the main thing. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I literally couldn't possibly be happier. Um, I've had the weird, um, weird, mis the weird fortune of having uh, three novels accepted for publication in, within a year. Um, I have a That's young cool. adult book coming out in January, too, uh, through Olive Ridley Press. Uh, that one's called The Neverborn Thief, um, which uh, that, like that one I call a young adult dark fantasy. It's got a lot of horror stuff, but it's set in a kind of a different world. And so fantasy tends to be the best descriptor for it. Well, fantastic. I mean, congratulations on three of three of them being accepted. That's amazing. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, you know, it's, it's funny because, um, you know, the actually the young adult book um, that that is getting published was the first of the three that I wrote. Um, and so you know, it was really strange. That one I'd been sending out for some time and uh, it had hit, a, you know, gotten positive feedback from agents and almost taken by a couple of them, almost taken by a couple small presses. And, you know, that one I was actually almost tempted to to shelve it. Um, and then, you know, when you get that kind of barrage of, bad, of positive news, one thing that is really strange, and I, I've talked to a lot of writers about this, is that um, you start to get a little bit of a disconnect from the way news should feel where, um, you know, you get you you read the acceptance email in your inbox and you're like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. And then, you know, six hours later, at the end of your evening, you just kind of casually open up your email to see if there's any more rejections or acceptances, you know, uh, the, yeah. the way that, you know, we tend to have to work by kind of almost carpet bombing the uh, the, the industry with our submissions. Um, you kind of get into this mechanical routine of checking for rejections or possible acceptances. And uh, it has this very odd effect on how you feel about the news you actually do get. Yeah, I suppose if you're expecting rejection all the, all the time, then that one acceptance, you don't really know how to feel, do you? Exactly. And then a couple of things come in at once and you, you suddenly realize it's like, well, I, I just celebrated one book. How do I what do I do about the second one? Um, <laughs> <laughs> OK, so have you had any memorable reactions from your readers, uh, any that particularly stand out to you? Um, so, of course, uh, definitely a good definitely a couple that, that were really cool. Like I said, um, you know, I've I, when I first started writing poetry, one thing that did surprise me was um, a couple of the letters I got in response to um, in response to poems I published. So the the very first piece of what I'd call fan mail, I got all the way back in like 2008, and I'd published a poem um, in North American Review about um, my visit to the Body Farm. And I don't know if you're familiar with the Body Farm, but it's um, it's it's just on the outskirts of University of Tennessee Knoxville, and it's part of their forensics program and basically yeah. what they do is they lay out corpses to study the various different effects of weather on their decomposition and you know i i went there when i was 17 and wrote about it when i was like maybe 22 and um yeah you know it's it, it's still to this day one of my favorite single pieces i've written but um yeah it was it was the strangest feeling to have somebody write me out of the blue i never really expected anybody to take notice of it because you know it was just a magazine publication but no over time uh you know one of the coolest things um about having a, a book get a little bit of notice um is 
you know, I've built some really cool relationships as a result of people's reactions to it. Um, so one of the best examples uh, is somebody who's quickly become one of my absolute fav- favorite contemporary authors is this fellow named John Kahn. He um, he published a book called uh, Slash Tag that came out two days before Mobius did. And one of the only reasons it even kind of came on my radar to begin with was when I um, was kind of keeping an eye on the new release charts on Amazon when the book was released, his was right next to mine. And like, we kind of passed each other a couple of times yeah. um, during that opening stretch. And so I was like, huh, you know, I wonder what that book's about. And then, you know, a little while later, um, I came across him saying some really positive things about uh, about Mobius in, uh, in one of the online groups. And, um, you know, I ended up responding to him and, uh, you know, uh, had a po- really positive conversation about it. And um, I ended up deciding to buy Slash Tag, which, uh, you know, it's an outstanding book. I think it's it's just fabulous. And, um, you know, since then, uh, you know, we've got we've gotten in touch with, with, with ah, excuse me, we've gotten in touch with each other uh, a couple of times about just various different writing concerns. And, um we ended up reading each other's ARCs for both of our respective forthcoming books. And so he read um, Gala Talk and I read his new book, uh, Everything is Temporary. And um, yeah, we've just, you know, um, you know, he's going to be uh, joining a reading series that I'm running down the road. And so, yeah, you actually build real connections with people just based on, you know, a shared love of horror writing and um, sort of overlapping interests. Um, and that's been pretty cool. Um, but then also... You can't help but to enjoy some of the uh, some of the critical responses as well. Um, you know, I, I think everybody sort of takes pride in exacting what, uh, you know, a truly, truly negative review. Um, you know, I've seen lots of horror writers like Duncan Ralston um, and, uh, you know, folk like that post some of the, the really, really amusing negative things people have said over the over time. And. I think yeah. there's a I, I think there's a certain degree to which um, anytime you elicit a really strong reaction in any direction, um, I think there's the, a part of the writer in you that just chalks that up as a success, regardless of what they say. That's right. I mean, I've seen I've seen some of the um, reviews that have been posted on Facebook. Some of them are quite hilarious. Um, obviously, the readers don't particularly read the blurbs. Because obviously some of the stuff that they're reading is, if it's making them that sick, then obviously they shouldn't be reading that genre in the first place. Yeah, you can't help but wonder sometimes um, about their method for choosing books. Um, <laughs> you know, like so some of my favorites have been the reactions people posted to Aaron Beauregard's Playground. Um, simply because, you know, I don't know how somebody could possibly look at the cover of that book and read its synopsis yeah, and think, oh, this looks like a pleasant read. Um, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> okay, so are there any other existing projects that you're currently working on that you can actually share with us? Yeah, um, I, I do have a couple things. Um, one. I'm in the late editing stages um, of a sh- collection of short stories that's coming out through Crystal Lake Publishing in November of 24. Uh, that's been extremely exciting. Um, that kind of developed organically just out of the process of publishing a lot of short fiction and being an ongoing communication with Wicked House. Um, ended up uh, building a relationship with um, you know a, a couple folk at Crystal Lake 
publishing because uh, Wicked House uh, really don't do um, short fiction. And so, um, you know, they kind of were looking, you know, they kind of helped me poke around to find a good home for the uh, the collection. But I'm really excited about that one because it's a, a mix that I think really showcases a lot of the different kinds of creativity I like to explore. It's um, a lot of science fiction, some of it hard sci-fi, some of it softer. Um, there's definitely some horror narratives in there, a um, handful of magical realism stories. So that's one I'm really, uh, you know, really looking forward to getting out there. Um, then I'm also looking forward to the um, cover reveal um, of The Neverborn Thief. Um, I'm expecting actually the uh, a new draft of that, the cover for that to come any day now. Um, so that's one I've been really excited for because it's radically different than uh, my my more my more traditional horror books, Mobius and uh, and Gala Talk. Like um, as a writer with kids, and specifically as a horror writer with kids, um, I'm really looking forward to having um, a book that I can share with my kids. That yeah. um, I think that they that they'll be able to read and enjoy. Um, and then finally, yeah, I've got. Um, uh, a new novel called Extinction Dream, um, and I uh, just completed the primary drafting. I have a decent bit of revision to do. Um, I have one chapter I need to add into an earlier part of the story, but most of it's going to be language style and that kind of thing, and uh, maybe a little bit of character tweaking for consistency. But I'm hoping to be able to start submitting that book to um, publishers, including, of course, Wicked House, and uh, and uh, probably by around Christmas. So, you know, th- I'm hoping before, you know, early 2024 to be able to make an announcement about that one soon as well. Um, I try to keep myself pretty, pretty busy overall. Oh, and finally, I do want to mention that um, I am uh, doing a live horror reading series. Um, anybody who's interested can follow me on Facebook, either at my personal account of Andrew Nyberg or Andrew Nyberg uh, at author or Andrew Nyberg author. But um, we just had our inaugural event, a reading with myself the, and the authors, Blaine Daigle and William Gray. Um, Blaine's the author yeah. of um, The Broken Places and A Dark Rue. And William Gray's book, The Devil Within Us All, came out just a couple months ago. I've got a, a second event in November with myself um, and Will Gray, and then also Andrew Van Way, author of Head Like a Hole, is going to be joining us. Um, and uh, got a January event with John Kahn, Duncan Ralston, and um, Jeff Strand. And um, a December event with Joe Scipione, uh, Megan Stockton, and Justin Hawley. So four events are guaranteed at this point. A fifth one's already coming together. And, you know, beyond that, um, if people are interested, they'll continue on to the foreseeable future. That's fantastic. That sounds like you've got a lot going on in the next year, but then, yeah, the next year. Oh, I'm doing my best. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> trying to trying to keep your name out there trying to keep your work visibility and the work of others uh, visible um you know that's that's so much of the battle at this point um and you know one thing that's been awesome is you know when um Mobius came out, I wasn't too familiar with the indie publishing industry. Um, you know, I had uh, some experience encounters with it, but really um, more with smaller names uh, that were kind of, well, not really even smaller names, you know, names like, you know, Grady Hendrix, Nick Cutter, um, S.A. Barnes, you know, people who had substantial publishers behind them. But then when I had conversations about their books, people would mention all of these other books that I wasn't quite familiar with. And so when it came time to really start promoting Mobius, uh, my publisher recommended a bunch of groups I could look at. And, um, you know, I started joining them and it was amazing to discover just how many 
incredible authors are producing material right now. You know, that's how I found Andrew Van Way, who's one of my favorite authors at this point. John Kahn, he's uh, what I call an auto-buy author, where I'll just buy everything he publishes right now. Um, you know, uh, Duncan Ralston, of course, has been, you know, been fabulous, and he's absolutely hilarious to interact with. Um, MJ Mars, the author of The Suffering, uh, you know, she's both a fabulous author and a delightful writer. Um, so, yeah, it's just, you know, meeting all of these cool people and discovering all of these incredible books has just been one of the single best parts of this whole process and journey. That's brilliant. So where can the readers find your books? I know you mentioned a couple of places. Is there anywhere else? Well, so, um, you know, Wicked House distributes through Amazon and, uh, you know, Kindle Direct Publishing. And um, they also do the extended distribution, which also links to Ingram Sparks. And so certainly the easiest way to get the stuff is through um, Amazon. But um, you can order through Barnes & Noble, through almost any bookstore, actually. A, a number of folk have ordered them through their public libraries, Um the audiobooks will be available through Amazon and a couple other platforms shortly. So basically, you know, really the short answer the, the short answer is anywhere books are sold. Okay. That's fantastic. So you're basically everywhere. <laughs> that's that's the goal, at least. Um now I, I will mention the one book I, I've been talking about, a decent bit, Gala Talk, is still only for pre-sale. Um, so if you want a copy of that, you would have to pre-order it through Amazon. On November 24th, the print order will open up on Amazon and all other um, vendors. That's fantastic. So I wish you all the look in the world with those. And I hope everything goes all right for you with the pre-release. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> You're very welcome. Well, thank you for coming on the show, Andrew. It's been lovely having you here. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Oh, you know, I think that's it at this point. Um, no, thank you for having me. Um, and thank you for the fabulous questions. And um, uh, yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to being able to uh, spread the word about the episode. <laughs>